So moving to our second segment, uh, uh, private universities like Columbia are real estate juggernauts. I mean, Columbia has that $14 billion endowment. It also owns all sorts of valuable real estate here in New York City. And recently, Matthew Thomas, a really excellent journalist, investigative reporter who writes at the as the vulgar Marxist on his Substack, I wrote an article called Empty the Universities, a Red Red Alliance to Reform the Real Property Tax. And he's going to uh, join us here to talk about that some more. Uh, Matthew, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you for having me. Sure. So uh, can you just lay out what's going on with uh, Columbia and some of these other wealthy uh, universities that get to ev- evade hundreds of billions of dollars in property taxes every year? Um, Yeah, all reputable universities are registered um, as 501c3 nonprofit organizations. That is a designation um, from the IRS and the federal government that exempts uh, organizations with that designation from the federal income tax. Um, But states and localities also confer a number of benefits on 501c3s. The legal regimes are different for every jurisdiction, so some simply require that you provide them with proof that the federal government has given you this designation. Others do their own verification, um, but there's no connection to federal in this legal designation. Your, your, your sound is crack, cracking up a little bit there. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're, uh, that's better. Sorry. Um, and so... Just because the federal government designates an organization as a 501c3 does not obligate um, uh, other jurisdictions to give them any benefits, but yet they do. Um, And so one benefit that is almost universal in state and local jurisdictions is that um, such organizations are exempted from paying property taxes. And so normally this is, you know, not a big issue if an organization is small or doesn't own a lot of real property, perhaps just the office that they operate out of if they're like a small service provider um, or something like that. But uh, there's been tremendous growth in university real property holdings, um, especially at the elite and Ivy League levels over the past um, two decades or more. And so you have these institutions which have sprawling real estate portfolios um, that have really exploded over a number of years. And every time that they buy a new property, um, it becomes um, exempt from from state and local property taxes. Uh, that's true in every state in the country. Um, but in New York, it's resulted in um, a, a shrinking of the tax base. And it's resulted in these institutions being able to grow very large um, and very wealthy without paying uh, commensurate taxes. In your report, uh, you say that Columbia uh, gets away with not having to pay $149 million a year in taxes, and its uh, t- twin uh, New York University um, uh, it gets out of paying $128 million per year in taxes. That's right. These are conservative estimates. So the Independent Bud- Budget Office, which is a city agency, um, provides advice uh, to lawmakers and to the public about how to either raise taxes or reduce spending. Um, They sort of put out these sort of uh, nonpartisan reports. They don't endorse any particular method. Uh, There's information out there for people. We've 
lost you for a little bit there. Are you, you still there, Matthew? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. You're okay. You're back again. No problem. I'm I'm sorry. Um, so the independent budget office puts out this information every year. Um, what they do is they total up the tax exemption or the value of the tax exemption um, for a certain number of um, building types owned by these universities. Um, but there's only three designations. And so for, they're like student dormitory, um, academic buildings and like faculty housing and things like that. Um, but for example, I think like performance spaces is another designation in the state tax code. So, you know, if NYU or Columbia has like a performance space, um, that might not be included here. Um, and hospitals, um, are not included that are owned by like Columbia and NYU. And so these are conservative estimates. Um, but basically all told, um, private universities in New York City, um, if they were taxed, if their real property was taxed normally, um, then it would generate at least like 600 million every year um, in additional revenue for the city, um, which could be spent uh, much more productively. Um, and these uh, institutions can certainly afford it. Right. And, and a, a number of groups, uh, including the Democratic Socialists of America, um, the Professional Staff Congress at CUNY, the, the, the union and that represents the faculty at CUNY and other groups uh, have have launched a new deal for CUNY campaign, uh, uh, seeking more funding f- to uh, hire more faculty, repair the facilities, and, and uh, uh, try to take CUNY back to being uh, a tuition free uh, university system like it was up until 1976. Uh, your your thoughts on the way the, these incredibly wealthy universities get out of paying taxes that in theory could uh, go to bolster CUNY, which serves over a quarter million working class students here in New York. Yeah, I think it's a very easy political case to make. I mean, um, and I think that there is an opportunity. I mean, part of the point of the piece was, um, you know, we're losing you again. Matthew? Can you hear me? Yes, you're back. Sorry. Uh, I think it's my internet connection. Um, Part of the point of the piece was to say that there is a potential bipartisan coalition for, um, you know, taxing these institutions. People on the left object to them because they fuel gentrification. They uh, perpetuate wealth inequality. Um, People on the right object to them because of cultural reasons um, and they are culturally annoying um, and, you know, terribly hypocritical, obviously, Um, you know, preaching about diversity and inclusion while, you know, uh, perpetuating such staggering inequality. Um, And so Curtis Lewa, actually the Republican mayoral candidate in the past election, uh, ran on a version of this, um, although he gave a few too many exemptions, I think. Um, but seems like he uh, wanted to exempt the, some of the private Catholic universities, yes, but, but wanted to tax the uh, the uh, liberal elitist uh, universities. Yeah, well, I've got news for him from him. They're all they're all liberal elites. Even at the, there's not too much Catholicism, I think, um, at some <laughs> of these places. Um, but but yeah, and so but if you just simply removed uh, the uh, from from the state tax code, the exemption for private universities, um, you could generate a huge amount of money that could be, uh, you know, just sort of the provocation that I put in the, in the piece was that you could split it. Basically, the libs get, you know, half of the revenue and the 
uh, Republicans get the other half. But there could be things that we give the Republicans that we could even support. So, for example, we could reduce property taxes on low-income seniors, which is something that even socialist lawmakers in New York have run on. So the Republicans get a property tax cut that we also uh, here on the left would, would be okay with, and then we could fund CUNY as well. But, you know, that's just sort of a provocation to get people thinking about how you know, there could be potential bipartisan buy-in for, for such a proposal. And, and I mean, this it goes even beyond that, but I, I think there's some countries where private universities are rare or, or even maybe forbidden. And, and um, could, could we ever aspire to a day where Harvard becomes UMass Cambridge and Yale becomes uh, U- University of Connecticut at New Haven and maybe Columbia becomes uh, the CUNY uh, Morningside Heights campus? Oh my gosh, I hope so. Um, I wish that that would be more um, advanced as a a credible um, uh, program on the left. I think that you could get uh, actually a huge uh, or a significant buy-in from uh, both sides. Um, And I mean, these universities are, especially at the elite level, the Ivy Plus um, are extremely pernicious. I mean, the amount of money they're sitting on is just unbelievable, which should absolutely be seized. But they also have a, a very negative cultural influence in terms of propping up and providing sinecures for, you know, uh, the ruling class to rotate in and out of as they go in and out of government, uh, titans of industry. Um, and they're just incubators for, um, you know, the people that staff um, you know, the hangers on of the ruling class that provide, you know, uh, that implement this sort of technology of government. Um, and and they groom the, the next generation. <laughs> yeah, the next generation of, of vampires. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, just to change gears, since we, we have just a little bit more time. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed reading your sub stack over over the past year. You, you always make a lot of, uh, you know, you have you do your investigations and, and manage to make some provocative points along the way. And, uh, um, you know, tomorrow, uh, Kathy Hochul is going to give her state of the state of the state address and kind of lay out her uh, priorities. And um, uh, earlier this fall, you were arguing that, that, that socialists uh, should turn more towards focusing um, on state and local governance with so much uh, stymied at the federal level, mm-hmm. uh, as we've seen the Democrats uh, flounder in Congress for months now. Um, your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it's, you know, it's unfortunate that she's totally in the pocket of all the same interests that Cuomo was in. Um, so I don't ex- expect a lot of progress from her. Um, we're losing you a little bit. Can you hear me, John? Yeah, that, that, that's better. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think where it's really dark situation at the federal level, um, I think we're headed for a huge red wave. We're not going to be able to pass any meaningful climate legislation for potentially. I mean, <laughs> we didn't pass any this time and we can control and the Dems control the federal government. Dems won't control it again for another 10 years. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is op- there are opportunities, particularly for New York. If I could give her one piece of advice or, you know, it, people in a position of influence, it would be to pursue public power. Um, and to make New York um, an exporter of publicly funded renewable energy. Um, If we could develop uh, renewable energy technology that could uh, generate excess energy, we could sell it to other states. Um, And what would that that take? What, 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 um, what steps do we need? 
she would uh, there would uh, the legislature would need to pass two bills um, that would allow for the state to currently I believe there's a cap on the amount of um, uh, energy that the state is allowed to to generate generate or the amount of construction that the state can undertake to generate um, energy. Um, this is like an enforced monopoly for private energy interests um, that needs to be removed. And uh, of course, there should be uh, the other bill uh, in this pairing would allow for the elected uh, for the election uh, for uh, democratic regulators, basically. So we could elect the people to the people that would set the rates um, for how much we pay. Um, but yeah, we need to invest a substantial amount in building renewable energy infrastructure. And if we invest enough and we could generate excess energy, um, we could sell it um, to neighboring states to reduce not only our carbon impact, but that of our neighbors. Um, and I think that that would um, be something that would be really meaningful. It would make us money. It would be profitable. And it would be an alternative to federal climate action um, in the absence of any alternative. Right. And, and before you go here, I mean, a, a theme you uh, touch on a lot of your writing is sort of the distinction between uh, liberals and leftists or socialists. Uh, um, and, and you have a new piece up t- today uh, uh, called Class War in Chinatown. Uh, can you r- really quickly uh, summarize that piece and, and uh, you know, why, why you uh, uh, delved into the uh, politics that have been uh, perking up in uh, Chinatown. Yeah, I became interested in that piece. I mean, Chris Marte um, is the new councilman. He was gracious enough to agree to an interview uh, with me, the first one he's given since his primary victory in June of last year. Um, but he ran on a number of issues, but the one I was most interested in was the issue of home care workers, immigrant women, mostly Chinese um, in lower Manhattan who are forced to work 24-hour days while only being paid for 13 of those hours. Um, If that sounds shocking, it is shocking, but it is legal in New York, and they've been advocating for change to that law for a number of years, and they've met huge resistance, not only from their own union, 1199, but from uh, so-called progressive lawmakers like Yulene Nu. Um, who are allied and friends with and receive money from uh, the people that own the agencies um, that uh, mandate these types of working conditions. And it's uh, really horrible. And so uh, Marte's mother was a garment worker in his childhood. She later became a home health aide and she worked those shifts. And so he felt very deeply invested in it. And he received a lot of support from uh, those women uh, who volunteered for his campaign and turned out to vote for him. And so, yeah, so the pieces, even expert. though he was Dominican and they were Chinese, there was uh, yeah, common cause was found. Totally. I mean, there's, um, you know, Domin- uh, Dominicans are, and those are the two large uh, Dominican and Chinese, I believe are the two largest immigrant groups in, in New York city, but they both, um, work in have worked in the garment industry when that was a big thing a lot of them transitioned to the home home care sector um and so there's huge opportunity for um you know uh, solidarity across um racial you're fading out a little bit already between those groups and and others and i think it was a really beautiful story of the coalition that he was able to build so vulgarmarxism.substack.com for people that are interested okay well we'll leave it there but matthew thomas the vulgar marxist thank you so much for joining us again on wbai thanks a lot john you bet